Hello and welcome to Mike and Jeff writing the right. Our intro music is a little bit uh, screwy tonight and not working with its queued up. So you didn't get to hear our normal happy little tune, but we've been live on YouTube for a few minutes and I'm not going to continue to mess with things as I start the podcast recording. So thanks for joining us this week. We are recording a few days late for those of you who watch live. I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, we apologize for that, but unfortunately life does sometimes get in the way. Um, unless you help us become big enough, this can become our full-time job. And then I assure you, we will always make this a priority. Until then, can't guarantee we'll always be the same day. Um, so we got a pretty fun show tonight. We're going to talk about Biden's executive orders, which have dwarfed most of it, pretty much all of his predecessors in modern history um, in his first week. We'll talk about his new COVID plan that sound, seems a lot like the old COVID plan. We've kind of talked about that before, but we'll mention it again. We'll talk about the, how the media is shifting the way they're handling Biden, Antifa, and the activity they're taking, they're still having um, as they've attacked a Democrat office in Portland. Talk about Biden um, refusing to meet with Black Lives Matter. Talk about uh, listener to a listener requested topic of third party candidates that we might see coming out. So we'll get more into that. Talk about this whole GameStop stock thing that's going on for any of you who've been following it on uh, Twitter or anywhere else on the internet. It's been quite the fun story. And our nerd topic of the week and other fan requests, we are going to talk about Watchmen, comic versus the movie, some of the key differences, our thoughts, etc. So we'll dive right in. Um, Mike, let's jump first into Biden's first week in office, his executive orders. Uh, today wraps up the first full week of Biden in office. He's signed more executive orders in one week than most of his predecessors signed in a month. Um, what do you think? Yeah. So um, if I remember correctly, his count is currently at 32. Um, at this point, Obama has did one and Trump has done five. And it's funny because he's talked about um, how in the past that people who go through executive orders are dictators and that the proper way is to, to work through the through democracy and go through Congress to get things passed. So very quickly, you see the hypocrisy of, of Biden coming through. But I just wanted to talk about a few of the executive orders. Um, so, so one, and I think I think people, I think it's not as bad as people are saying, but it has the potential to be. One is uh, preventing and combat, combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. And what that does is anyone that's receiving federal funds has to look into their policy to make sure that they're not doing anything discriminatory. And like I said, bringing the executive order, it doesn't seem that bad, but if you think about the consequences or where this could lead to, my first thought is that it's just going to, to severely harm women's sports as transgender women are going to be allowed to play in the sports meant for biological women. And you have to keep in mind that women's sports and section, was it 11, Jeff? You remember correctly? Title nine. Yeah, title nine. Sorry, not, not, not 11. Title nine was designed to make sure that women had their own sports and that there was money for women to play sports. And now what you're essentially doing is you're going to allow biological men, men to play those, in those sports. So that's my biggest concern. Um, he also signed an executive order, I think today or yesterday, um, targeting the private, uh, pri uh, private, uh, private prisons. Sorry, folks, I'm a little tired. And trying to eliminate uh, private pensions um, that are being used by the federal government. Um, 
my thoughts on that is is it's a great thing. I think Jeff feels the same way. Um, we're, we're both, you know, kind of pro-capitalist, but in the sense of um, trying to make a profit or, or on the plight of people, uh, we, we are for um, public prisons. My only concern is that if this is done incorrectly, you're going to lead to a lot of overcrowding. So I'm, I'm hoping that the plan is to um, just fade it out maybe over time. Um, bringing a uh, or at least build up public uh, prisons before you just kind of tear down or, or remove the um, ability for for private prisons to hold prisoners. Um, any other ones that stuck out to you, Jeff? Uh, yeah, so I've got a list pulled up of Biden's executive orders because there are quite a few. So let's kind of go through some of the big ones. Um, let's see. He is preserving data, he signed a memorandum, so it wasn't an executive order, but per, uh, a memorandum preserving and fortifying DACA, which is um, a travesty, quite frankly. It was unconstitutional in the first place, should have never been allowed to stand, but it was. Um, he launched, uh, he signed an executive order his first day in office to launch an initiative to advance racial equity and end the 1776 commission, which was in direct response to the 16, uh, 92 uh, project, 1692, 1612. 1619. 1619, thank you. There's a million numbers out in front of my face and I am also a little tired. Um, yeah, for, for people who don't know, Jeff just had to um, put his son to sleep. So <laughs> that can be very draining. <laughs> it can. Uh, let's see, he signed an executive order requiring masks on all federal property. And then the exact same day um, after that order was signed, he and his entire family violated that law or violated that order all over federal property in DC. Well, Jeff, uh, the reason was they were celebrating. So. Yes, I know. I, I, for, COVID, I did COVID not realize there was a celebration clause in all these mask mandates, but now it's good to know that I'm, I can celebrate any time and not have to wear a mask, mm -hmm. um, I, I, which is great because now you're being told to double or triple masks. Um, so, you know, at some point we'll just be wrapped in bubble wrap. Uh, let's see. He... Well, actually, let's let's swing back um, to that advancing racial equity in support of underserved communities through the federal government. So it's funny because it starts off with equal opportunity is the bedrock of American democracy, and our diversity is one of our country's greatest strengths. So I really don't have a problem with that sentence, but then it, it jumps down to. It is therefore the policy of my administration that the federal government should pursue a comprehensive approach to advancing equity for all, including people of color and others who have been historically underserved, marginalized, and adversely affected by persistent poverty and inequality. The only real problem I have with that sentence is the one word, which is equity. I have no problem with trying to push equality, which is equal opportunity but I have a huge problem with equity, which is trying to push equal outcomes. Yeah, I mean, and that's the issue is, first of all, getting rid of the 1776 commission, I think is wrong in the first place. Pushing equity in everything he's doing is wrong because equity by definition is, a, it, it's driving affirmative action. It's driving equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity, which is not the foundation of this nation or anything that we want. Um, let's see, some of the other ones that, 
He signed an executive order providing guidance on safely reopening schools, which in concept sounds like it would be a good thing, but then has come out since then and backed the Chicago Teachers Union that against all science, against all voters, against all polling has said they refuse to come back to work, even though even his own guidance has said they need to go back to work and all science has said they need to go back to work, which is but funny he because came out and he backed a, them immediately after. So his yeah. executive order meant nothing. Yeah. And it's funny because he has a few executive orders regarding COVID and the fact that they're going to rule from a point of, of science and not policy. So, you know, we're a, a weekend and we're already starting to see um, loads and loads of hypocrisy, which uh, I mean, we weren't he- around um, four years ago under Trump's first week. Um, but hey, it is what it is. We're here now and we're going we're gonna to point out the hypocrisy when we see it. Uh, he that that's exactly right. He also signed a uh, executive order reversing the quote unquote Muslim ban that was never at any point in time a Muslim ban, but was a ban of travel from nations that are known state state sponsors of terrorism with loose security uh, regulations. The list, by the way, documented and created by Mike. Do you want to throw out a, a guess? Um, I'll go with Obama. Yeah, by the Obama administration. Um, but because it was enacted under, under Trump, was claimed to be racist and xenophobic. And so he's reversed that ban, which was an actually good uh, good ban. Um, yeah. He stopped. And to hop on that, I, I don't agree with a Muslim ban, but I agree with banning dangerous um, people coming from dangerous uh, countries for loose uh, security, which is all happen to be Muslim. I don't know if there's a correlation or causation there, but yeah. what well, do you think, Jeff? Here's the other. Well, first of all, uh, I think uh, I think in this case, I think you could say correlation does equal causation. Uh, <laughs> but more than that, it's look, it's not a Muslim ban. Most of the uh, largest Muslim ma- majority populated countries in America in the world were still allowed free entry into America. It was specifically countries that were tied directly to state-sponsored terrorism. Yes, that's that's very key. State-sponsored terrorism. Not you. Don't, you have terrorists in your country. Is that the government is actually backing them up? But many majority Muslim countries were not on that list. It was not a Muslim ban. So, and here's probably the biggest one that um, shocking that neither one of us has mentioned yet. But by far the biggest, most most horrible one that he signed. Many of these I don't agree with, but this one's the worst. He revoked the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Oh, which that was immediately that. ended jobs. Yeah, eleven thousand jobs. Was that an executive order or? A... That was an executive order okay. on January twentieth. I just double checked to see if it was a memo or an EO, and it was an executive order. Okay. So he signed an executive order his first day in office, killing oil and gas jobs. You know that stuff that he said he wasn't going to do, but actually said he was going to do. He in said the it debates, as well as, and then well as Kamala did Harris. About it, as yeah, well as Kamala that. Harris. And John Kerry, by the way, I know this is off topic, but at the same time, not. He was questioned. John Kerry was questioned about that today. For those of you who don't know, John Kerry was a, once again appointed to a position in the presidential cabinet, just like he was under Obama um, after failing to win an election against George W. Bush. Um, John Kerry is the presidential special envoy to deal with the climate or something like that. He's the climate change czar, essentially. Um, not really sure what his qualifications for that are, aside from being the fact that he is a out and out sycophant. Uh, but what's funny is what's funny is that he's going to be going around in private jets, 
going around private jets saying that uh, pollution is bad. Yeah. Well, he's got to tell everybody about the dangers of man bear pig. So, but so what's funny though, about John Kerry today, today was actually asked about, you know, oil and gas jobs that are dying up, drying up. And all he said, what he essentially said, the Biden administration isn't trying to kill jobs. We want to give these people better choices so they can go out and be the ones to make, make solar panels and make turbines. Those were the two fastest growing jobs pre-COVID, which a, I don't know if that's even a true statement. If solar panel technicians and turbine technicians were number one and two prior to COVID, let's say for sake of argument, that's true. It has nothing to do with whether or not the people who worked on the Keystone XL pipeline are going to get those jobs <clears throat> because this is what Democrats do, what they do all the time. And actually not even just Democrats, what politicians do, because the right does it too, is because they are so out of touch with America and out of touch with having a real job because they sit on their asses in Capitol Hill and do nothing. They don't realize that because you had an energy sector job before, you can walk right in. The skill set that you had as a coal miner or a Keystone pipeline worker are not the same skill sets necessarily for a solar panel technician or a turbine technician. And no, you don't just, just, just instantly go and learn to do those things and get those jobs. They don't just material. Oh, well, there's a new job there. I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to switch from this to that. That's not how, that's not how America works. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, that, that, that order by far is the worst. Let me see if there are any other ones that I wanted to point out. Um, we're really, oh, another big one that I want oh, to point sorry, out. Sorry. So before you move, um, I was actually on Facebook yesterday and a memory popped up about the, the Keystone pipeline. Um, so I can't remember what my, my, what it says on, I can't use my phone right now because I'm using it as a video camera. What I essentially said there is, um, I don't have a problem with oil. I have a problem with it running near, um, water and over Native American land. And that's, I mean, that's still my position. So I, I still don't have a problem with the Keystone pipeline of bringing oil. Um, but last I checked, it was running through Native American land, which I have a problem with. So I didn't have, here, I'm gonna say something that that is in disagreement with that. Um, we oftentimes agree, but I disagree with, with you and everyone with that position heavily for two reasons. One, I actually think the concept of Native American land in this country is ridiculous. I think the idea that they have reservations that they're allowed to treat however they want is absurd. Um, I, I think it's a, it's, it's reparations in a way that makes no sense. I have nothing against Native Americans. Um, but I think the concept that they are excluded from state laws in the states in which they uh, reside and the fact that they are excluded from some federal laws is absurd. Um, and they, and uh, the Keystone pipeline is not contaminating their water supply. I don't have any problem with the Keystone pipeline running through their land. So I don't have a problem. So I agree that um, Native American land um, isn't good. So I actually looked into some research and essentially Native Americans um, off the reservation do a lot better than Native Americans mm -hmm. on the reservation. That is uh, correct. Most people know that, but they have higher cases of like um, diabetes, um, they're poor and things like that. Essentially, once they get off kind of the, the, the... They also have higher cases of drug abuse and alcohol abuse. There you go. That's one, that's one thing I, I forgot. So yeah, I don't, I don't support the reservations, but if we are going to have them, then we should honor them. That's my belief, that we should honor the, the law that we put down. So I'll, I'll, I'll buy that argument and I'll buy that logic. So I, I mean, I think 
intellectually, that's an honest opinion. So I don't disagree with you there. Um, my problem is I don't buy into that, buy into the idea that we should have them in the first place. So I don't like, and it's not like they're not being compensated for the pipeline running through their lands. So that's my other problem with it. Um, so I guess, so one more thing is another issue I had was that it was near uh, a town and then the town voted to have it moved and they moved it. So I feel like they should give the same opportunity to the people in the reservation. That was my issue that it was moved to the, the Native American land. It wasn't started there originally. That's, that's a fair, fair point. I, again, I don't have a problem with it running there, but I understand your point. So I don't disagree with you on your point. I think that's a valid way to look at it, but that's why occasionally we actually do disagree on the show. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because I didn't have a problem with the Keystone XL pipeline. I still don't. Um, and the bigger thing is, uh, the massive jobs that it's not only did it kill jobs for Americans, it also was uh, hated by Canadians. <laughs> and and uh, not that I normally care about the opinions of Canadians, but it's hey. funny that one of the first actions Biden took in office was something that even the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke out against. Yeah, so, it took more than a day for, for Trump to piss off Canada. So good job, Biden. You're doing worse than Trump, pissing off the nicest people in the world. It was, it was just kind of funny to me, but your points on your points on the native American land on the Keystone pipeline are interesting. So, um, well, well put. So one of the I other get, EOs, I have that good I ideas every mention, now and then. what was that? I said, I have good ideas every now and then. <laughs> one of the other executive orders I want to point out that isn't one that on the face of it sounds like it should be that bad, which is, um, Trump reversed the ban on transgenders serving openly in the military or ex- mm-hmm excuse me, not Trump, Biden reversed that in. On the face of it, people would say, oh, he, it was an anti-discrimination thing. That's a great idea. The problem is um, what goes, what the underlying tone of that is, is that now their medical care must be covered by the military, which was the whole reason that ban was put in place in the first place. And as someone who has spoken out on the show in the past that I do not you agree with, with that type of procedure, and that I do not believe that that is how you treat a mental illness by paying into the delusion. I don't believe that should be paid for by taxpayers because somebody cho- chooses to join the military. Right. And well, I mean, the data shows that it doesn't help anything. The suicide rate is the same regardless of uh, pre and post op. Yeah. And it's 4X that of the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. So again, that is. That is my problem with it is the underlying thing of here of, of that order is not that it's anti-discrimination. It's that now you're going to have, now taxpayers are going to pay for gender reassignment surgery, which I don't agree with. Right. Yeah. That's my concern. And I think transgender should be concerned too, because if the government's paying for the people in the military, I would assume that the, the price for that, po- um, that surgery won't go down as fast as other cosmetic surgeries. That would be my assumption. That's an, that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought about, but you're, you're probably not wrong. And the, my guess would be, and this is not look, I normally, we don't stereotype on the show, but I'm going to make a statement not on the show. somewhat stereotyping that the majority of transgender Americans probably do not serve in the military. So, so too. this is more likely to, to your point, more likely to hurt people who the cost of that, if the government's paying those surgeries, the cost of that surgery for a private citizen is probably going to stay up there. Mm-hmm. And if you're a private again, citizen, I don't, you want I don't, surgery, I don't care. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't care if you take the surgery. I, I think I was going to say the same thing you just said, Jeff, but I just don't want to pay for it. 
the same way I don't want to pay for someone getting lipo or a nose change or anything like that. I think it's cosmetic surgery. Therefore, I shouldn't have to pay for it. And what's interesting is that because cosmetic surgery isn't covered by insurance, that's actually fallen in um, price, whereas other surgeries have, have gone up. That's a good point. So well, I'm, I'm going to mention two more orders. Um, there, he has made many orders, as Mike alluded to earlier. 32. So we will not go through all of them, but there are two others that I think are interesting and worth talking about as well. One is this kind of went under the radar. Not a lot of people talked about it, but he also restored collective bargaining power for federal workers. I am massively opposed to that. I have talked numerous times on this program about the dangers of public, of public sector unions. That is why you have police brutality and police corruption. That is why you have teachers that are not working but are getting paid right now by, uh, by tax dollars. There is a massive problem with collective bargaining being allowed for federal public employees. Mm -hmm. So by restoring that, you are opening the gate to more federal corruption. Exactly. Here's the thing, folks. Unions are designed to help and protect the worker. So in a case, like Jeff pointed out, teachers, the union is going to help and protect the, the teacher. Whereas teachers and, and the, the job schools are designed for the students. That should be the top priority, not the teachers. Same with cops. So you get a lot of bad cops being protected by the police unions. Um, so you guys are, you know, complaining about defunding police and how corrupt everything is. Let's get rid of the unions. I think that'll fix a lot of the issues. Get rid of the unions and um, force the the cop when they get sued to pay for it instead of the city. Yep. And so by by giving that power back to federal employees, I just I think it's a bad idea. One of the greatest things that Ronald Reagan ever did in his presidency, and a lot of people don't remember this, especially people our age who didn't live through the Reagan presidency, um, but as a a um, massive fan of Reagan. I am familiar with a lot of the things he did. One of the best things Reagan ever did was when he fired all of the, all of the air traffic controllers in America when they went on strike, because he pointed out you're a federal employee and you do not have the right to go on strike. So he fired every single one of them. And uh, that was fantastic. This is a horrible move. So I said, I only had two more, but I actually have uh, I actually had three more because I have one more order and one that's expected to come. So another order that's bad, and this has already been challenged and an injunction placed against it, is he froze the execution of what some in the media are calling harmful and discriminatory immigration practices. But what he actually did was put a hundred day freeze on deportations for people who are already set to be deported. Um, that's already been um, stopped by a Texas federal, by a federal judge in the state of Texas, because uh, the state of Texas sued for it. Um, so that'll work its way to the Supreme Court most likely. But that is a, again, that's a dereliction of duty to be, to be frank. The job of the chief executive of this country is to execute the laws that are on the books, not to pick and choose what laws you're going to choose to execute. Immigration law is, is written and on the books. And the only people who can change that are the legislature, not the president with the stroke of a pen. And by choosing not to enforce it, he's, it's a dereliction of duty. It is, that's all it is. Um, so that order I have a big problem with. And then the last one, this, and I haven't seen that he's officially signed this. He was expected to today. Um, and I believe there's still a chance he might sign it before the night is over, but it's 10 PM on the East coast. And I haven't seen that he has, so I doubt he will, but within the next day or so he's expected to sign an order that 
pauses new oil and gas leases on um, federal lands. And that also impacts uh, reservations because they are considered federal land. And even the Native American tribes like the Utes have come out massively against this because that's where they get a lot of their money. So going back to the argument about the Keystone Pipeline, one of the reasons I said I'm okay with it is because they're getting compensated. Well, in this case, he's taking that off the table. They can't even choose to. So even if you were against the Keystone Pipeline, like Mike was for good reasons, um, if the tribes choose to allow it, then you definitely wouldn't be against it. I, and, yeah, if they wanted to, I wouldn't And now care. he's taking that right away from them. And it's also going to hurt, again, hurt the oil and gas industry at the price of saying, oh, we're going to bring out cleaner energies. That doesn't just happen overnight. But what you did overnight do overnight was kill jobs. Well, it's that. And let's keep in mind that um, the reason that the U.S. has been decreasing their CO2 emissions since 2005 is due to fracking um, natural gas. So you, you put a hole on oil, natural gas. One, um, the U.S. becomes dependent on energy from foreign countries which is probably going to lead to more war. And two, our CO2 emissions are going to go up, which is supposedly what does, they don't want to happen because they, we just agreed to hop into the Paris Climate Agreement, which, as I've talked many times on this show, is utterly pointless and optional. And the only thing it does is it makes the U.S., well, doesn't make, but it obligates the U.S. to give money to other nations because we've already, and we've still been meeting our CO2 requirements even under Trump. It's funny you bring up more war because one of the other things, it wasn't an executive order, but it was an executive action uh, done by our commander in chief. First day in office, sent a convoy of military personnel into Syria. So Donald Trump went four years, the first president in modern history to have no new wars, took a day for Joe Biden to already gear up for one. Mm -hmm. One day, not even a day, like 12 hours. So this is kind of random, but there's a, a tweet. Um, and the person's name is Trump is Guano Loco. So I think you guys can figure out what that's supposed to mean. But it says every Biden voter I know, including me, regret the decision of voting for Biden. So um, Officer Tatum, he's a, a conservative and he's one of the leaders for the um, Black Lives Matter. He's been getting a lot of tweets and uh, from Biden's voters that have uh, buyer's remorse already. Um, it's also funny because um, I think Biden has dropped two points in popularity already, uh, which is very rare. Um, normally people are still in their honeymoon phase by now. So the fact that he's already dropped in popularity is a, it's a very bad sign for Biden this early on. That what's funny about, so one of the, I started following a new Twitter handle, which was Biden voters posting their L's online. Um, because it is hilarious to me, but there, there are, there are a lot of Biden voters out there that are realizing that they voted for a man who stood for nothing. Um, one of the other things that's been, that he did was he signed a memorandum to put, to push the, and granted, he does not have the power to, to change the, the federal minimum wage on his own. Although frankly, I'm shocked that he didn't do it because our government has given way to just pure dictatorship where the president it rules without any checks and balances because they just enact policy. All of the, literally every executive order we named, by the way, is outside of the purview of the president's authority. Very true. The only executive orders he had that are, are things that, that would be okay are things that pertain to what the, I mean, maybe one of the ones that Mike named um, with regard to 
the federal government and, and the executive branch not um, discriminating based on gender and things like that. He can do that. But first of all, that's already a law. So there's no executive order needed. Um, second of all, it was, it was, it's got a deeper purpose, as Mike said. So maybe that, you, you know, that's okay because they work for him, but pretty much everything else, immigration policy, things like that. He's supposed to follow the laws that are on the books, not just pick and choose. Um, but throwing all that aside, it's kind of funny that he didn't do something with the minimum, minimum wage. But one of the things that many Biden voters are upset about is his memorandum wasn't even trying to push the legislature to do it quickly. It's to raise the minimum wage to $15 by 2025. So in five years, they might get the minimum wage to 15 bucks. Yeah. And they've been pushing for this since what the Wall Street protests under Yeah, since Occupy Obama. Wall Street under Obama. So it's like 2010 or something 10? like that, 12. So 15 years, you're getting the, the minimum wage of $15. Yeah, when inflation is going to kill us all anyway, because we don't because oil and gas prices are going to shoot through the roof. Because, oh, by the way, his new commerce secretary has already said they might tax the middle class to pay for his agenda. Oh, and uh, they've also said <laughs> they might have to pay. They might have to put a gas tax on a hike up a new federal gas tax to pay for all of their green policies. So yeah, all those people who thought you weren't going to get taxed done unless you're, if you're under 400,000 a year, you were lied to and fooled um, as we said you would be because they're already saying taxes may be necessary. Oh, and by the way, his climate, uh, his climate secretary or um, environmental secretaries now come out and said some jobs may need to be sacrificed for the climate to climate policy to succeed. So thank you for voting for Joe Biden. Fantastic. Fantastic. One thing I will say, though, that's shocking. This is genuinely shocking. I am genuinely shocked Joe Biden is still in office. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. I mean, if you would ask me the if you'd ask me to take out a, a pool on how long he'd be in office, my the smart money for me would have been 36 hours. I thought that man would either be dead or removed from office by now so they could make way for President Kamala Harris. I still you do not think I'm going to go on record. I do not think that man serves out all of 2021. They have already got people, even people on the left now are already saying he seems like he's not all there. And he comes out and he signs executive orders. I don't know if you saw the video a couple of days ago where <laughs> he's fumbling with laughing. his pen. Like he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's like putting in his jacket. And he's like, he looks confused. Well, this is the man who's in charge of the nuclear codes for America. It's not even so, that. He's like, he's like, what is this? <laughs> like, just, just sign it. <laughs> just sign. It. He's, he's just sitting there like a. It's, it's ridiculous. So I do not think that they will enact the Twenty Fifth Amendment before twenty twenty one is out. If that man is president in January first of twenty twenty two, I will eat my words because there is. I cannot see any way. I didn't think he'd make it a week. I definitely don't think he makes it fifty two. Oh, that was hilarious. Just being honest. <laughs> I know. It was, it was just funny. That's all. So, all right, let's shift gears, Mike. You good with that? Yeah. Yeah. Switch to, the, to Biden's new plan, which is Trump's old plan. Yeah. Lay it out for us, Mike. <laughs> I've yeah. been talking a lot tonight, so I'll let you. Yeah, no problem. So, one, Biden wants to make a way to open schools, which Trump was talking about <laughs> in the summer in the spring um yeah like before the school year started <laughs> yeah um biden's talking about making sure that ppe is available for everyone um so i went to the michigan.gov website to see how 
uh, much PPE is necessary at the hospitals. Um, like 95% of them said, like, we have over a 30-day supply for PPE. <laughs> and I looked on, on Amazon earlier, and everything that you need, gloves, masks, gowns, I could buy right now with free two-day shipping. So I have no idea what he's going to do with PPE that's, that's needed. He's going to get credit. That's what's going to be different. Yeah. And then the other thing he's talking about doing the 100 million doses in 100 days, uh, that's not impressive because they were already doing 100, uh, or sorry, a million doses per day um, the week before Biden went into office. Yeah. The day he was inaugurated, they did over a million doses in that day anyway. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. The United States is currently sitting at. 23.54 million doses given out so i it doesn't seem like a hard task for him to reach um so he's yeah like i said he's not he's not doing anything special he, he talked about the defense act for ppe but like i said that's we there's enough maybe in in a few hospitals there may not be um that's that's definitely possible that's but a supply the, chain issue, not a supply issue. Yeah, supply chain issue. Um, even about the vaccine, he's talking about there's not a plan. And then Fauci comes out like, yeah, there's there's a plan. There's so, a plan published on the website. Like, that's I know, the thing, I, I read the plan. say there was no, web, no plan. You could go out and see Trump's plan on the internet. Mm-hmm. He's he published- been up there for months. He, he, he's, been, he's been up there for months. He's been talking about it for months. The issue is states have been slow to update their systems to show um, how many vaccines they've given out. So for instance, in Michigan, it went from like 44% to like 67% in like two days. That couldn't have been on purpose though. Exactly. Never. That, that couldn't have possibly been on purpose that Chicago, California, New York, Michigan opened up after the, no, no. No, I, I don't think that could be. That's got to be coincidence. Yeah, it's funny that the cases are going down, but also so is the testing. But you know, whatever. No one was looking at, especially looking at the positivity rates, um, like the fact that California is expected to pass Texas and Florida in, in number of deaths per million, and I think last time I checked was four weeks, according to the projections. And remember, California's been shut down. You'll never down. know because four four weeks from now, this will be a, a gone. This will be dead. They'll have oh, everybody sure triple masking, and you won't hear about COVID anymore. Oh, I'm sure. As I'm long sure. as you're wearing your three masks and your goggles and your gloves and your pillow suit, you'll be good. Well, definitely the pillow suit. That's obviously important. For in case you pass out, boom, instant bed. I mean, it's not like we need to work anymore. There won't be any jobs left anyway, so. Exactly. So just really quick. So looking at California, um, they currently have 1.6 million active cases. Texas has uh, 372,000, 100,000. Florida has 800,000. But yeah, <laughs> lockdowns are working perfectly. Yeah, it's it's been that way for throughout the entire pandemic too. The states with the strictest lockdowns are the ones that are struggling the most. It's been that way the whole time. So yeah, this whole thing is ridiculous. The the other thing that I found very funny about the only comment I'll make on his COVID plan was I found it funny that the entire time he talked about how he was gonna beat the virus. He was gonna beat the virus. 
two days after two or three days after being in office, he came out and said, there is nothing we can do to stop the trajectory of the virus right now. In the next few so, months. So, so yeah, for the next few. So you literally so just come out like, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> so your plan is to about? do nothing. But there's also no plan. And we need a plan immediately. I get the it. Whole, it's 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 hilarious how and the media is applauding every step he takes is like literally nothing has been new and again just like i said earlier with his executive orders he doesn't even follow his own plan his executive order or, mem- or memorandum i don't remember which one it was and i've closed it now pushed for schools to be opened but the mm-hmm. next literally the next day he came out in support of the chicago teachers union that said they didn't go wouldn't go back to opening schools that's refusing to go back to school yeah so which is it? Do you want schools open or closed? Uh, yeah. So, so Jeff, since we, we changed your name to fighting leftists to right and right, what do you think conservatives should do about Biden's executive orders and his new old COVID plan? About his new old COVID plan, I think the only thing we can't, I'm going to answer that one first because I think it's easy. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing we can do is continue to point out the hypocrisy and, of the media in the way it's being reported. We need to shine a light on the fact that nothing has changed. And we need to shine a light on the fact that this pandemic was played up for political purposes, that states and cities stayed locked down on purpose to manipulate the election. We need to shine a light on that. It needs to become very clear to people in America how much manipulation of the election was really done by elected officials. Mm-hmm. Because we always talk about, oh, did Russia interfere with the election? Did Dominion interfere with the election? Did blah, 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 you know, like. We don't talk about the elected officials that are flat out manipulating the results of an election by refusing to open up their states, even against the data, when it could have helped Donald Trump, because that's what it came down to. That's been very obvious, because you can't make any case that California's Governor Gavin Newsom, who had the strictest lockdown in the country, decided to open up miraculously within days of the inauguration because the data changed because it didn't, the data, if anything has gotten worse than it was months ago, Mm -hmm. but he suddenly has decided I don't need to be locked down anymore. You can't tell me that's not political. So that's what I think we need to do for that. For the other piece, what do we need to do about his executive orders? Well, first of all, we, what we do, we need to follow later if we win the presidency back, but what we need to do is start challenging them, take every single one to court, So that they get forced to be shut down and then take the power back as the legislature refuse to allow the president to do the job of the Congress. And if you know what, if the Democratic controlled House and Senate can get those laws through, I may not like it, but at least it's following the Constitution. And we need to push for that. We need to fight it in court until every single thing he's trying to enact goes through Congress the way it was intended. And And the only signing he's doing at his desk is signing laws. He's signing bills into law. Um, And then we need to follow that when we have the White House back and remember that that is how the government is meant to be run and that we do not need a president who signs a bunch of executive orders on our end either. But right now, all it is is a battle back and forth. One of the other executive orders that was a big executive order for uh, Joe Biden was repealing a lot of Donald Trump's anti-regulation executive orders. It was one executive order repealing a bunch of others. So it's literally just presidents going tit for tat, replacing their own stuff and they're governing Without the legislature, the republic, the conservatives, not the Republicans, the conservatives need to take back the Constitution and the checks and balances. Mike, what do you think? I agree. So who do you think should be suing? Like who, who's so, for instance, with DACA um, being allowed in, who should be suing for that? Should we be writing to our, our senators to sue? Should is this uh, something that 
the regular citizen can sue about? Like, what are your thoughts? So it's an is, interesting is it based on because- based, based on like executive order, or is it because all executive orders are kind of impacting the regular citizen? A citizen can sue on every single executive order. It's an it, that's an interesting question, Mike, because I think from a court perspective, the court would tell them like if I tried to take suit over the DAC, over the DACA um, executive order, I believe the Supreme Court and, and and the appellate court system would tell me I didn't have standing, that mm-hmm. I didn't have a and standing for those of you listening that don't know the legal system, standing is a legal requirement. It basically means you are impacted by the law or by that by that thing, and therefore you have a right to sue about it because you're impacted by it so you have standing okay Um, so then sorry so to go on that if under this executive order this freeze someone then gets let's say mugged by an illegal immigrant that was slated to go back well then that person have right to sue i don't believe so again i i'm gonna say now they're being they're now being directly impacted by that order had that order not been in place they the person would have been um deported so I think again, I'm by no for for the record for everyone who listens. I think everyone knows this, but I just want to clarify: I'm not a legal scholar. I do not have a law. I do. I am not a an attorney. Um, so this is just my opinion as someone who fancies himself familiar with the topic and and um, someone who reads up on these things. I do not. Be, I believe that you you would get told you didn't have standing. Now, could you make the argument that you should? I think that you could because. I believe personally that every constant, every citizen of the United States has standing to sue the federal government for violating the constitution. Um, I personally believe that to be the case. I don't think the courts would agree. However, who the group that does have standing is like, for example, let's use the deportation halt states have the right to sue the federal government. States automatically have standing to sue the federal government. States, because of the structure of the federal government, states automatically have standing to take in and they have original jurisdiction in the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So states that are impacted by that have standing. Um, And the deportation halt halt arguably uh, would have standing with any state because any state could be impacted by a federal halt on states following federal law. as far as like DACA and things like that, I think that I think that the states should have a right to do that as well because it impacts the states because now suddenly you have illegals that are turned into f- citizens by the federal government that now hit your um, hit your roles in terms of welfare and things like that that you now have to take account for. So I think the states all have standing. So I think we should push for our states to do it, but I also think the Congress in this case has standing because at this point I think. It's, I don't even know if it needs to go to the Supreme Court. Congress needs to take back their power following just the basic checks and balances of the government. Congress needs to take action directly against the president and if needed, should pull the court in to, in, to further develop that. But that's what checks and balances are. So I think Congress doesn't need anybody to step in. Congress can Congress could do it for themselves. So you asked a minute ago, should we be writing our senators? Yeah, I think we should. We should be writing our congressmen, our senators to say, Take back the stinking federal government and do your job. Fantastic. So I think something that we could do um, since we can't sue is maybe one of us could write a letter that we can then post to our, our Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter. I would be happy to write an open letter to the Congress. Yeah. So then uh, if you agree with us, you can just copy and paste it and send it to your senator, any senator, um, anyone that Jeff has mentioned that has, that has the power to, to sue abuse executive orders. Um, to your point, I think one of the issues I'm seeing um, just being on Instagram and, and Twitter and looking at what the conservatives are posting is they don't really seem unified 
and when they are unified, it's just making fun of Biden and not actually pointing out the hypocrisy. So I think what conservatives need to do is have a unified message of, so for the uh, COVID plan, it's like, okay, here's all the things that Trump has implemented and here's here are the dates, then here's everything that Biden is doing. Biden is not doing anything new. Just make one little simple infographic that everyone can post. I think that, I think that's what the issue is, is that everyone's focused on their own message, but I think certain things need to be all discussed and, and pushed together. I think that's a really good point, Mike. I think a unified front would do a, a lot of good for the right. So I love that idea. And, and you know what, I will volunteer. I will take the, I will take up the charge. Um, obviously I'll send it to you. I'd love you to give some input as well, but I will write an open letter, which the writing the right team will post on our, our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook. Um, and we will, I, I will also send it to my senators, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz and my Congressman who is Colin Allred, who is a Democrat. Cause unfortunately I live in a Democrat controlled district. So he will probably ignore it. Um, oh, no, but my senators might actually do something with it. And I will happily write a letter, um, stating our case because, I'm fed up with I'm fed up with our country being run by executive order. I'm fed up with our country being uh, that with our with the right not having a a voice in and a unified voice. So I'll I'll write about both on separate letters. But mm-hmm. we need a unified voice. I think that's a great point. But more importantly, we need to stop being run by executive order. And that's not a Democrat thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's a it's a government thing. It Trump had too many. Bush had too many. Obama had too many. Clinton had too many. Um, we need to start executive orders. We're not, if, if you went to the founders and told them that this is the way our country was being run, they'd be sick and they'd probably be planning another revolt. The sons of Liberty would be meeting again. I can almost guarantee you that because we are not that far from having a King. Very true. So I will write that letter. It will be done by next week and I will have it ready to post. We'll, we'll debut it on the air. I'll even read it on the air for us, but I'll write that letter because that actually sounds like a, a worthwhile use of my time. Something that will probably get ignored by everyone in Congress, but at least it'll make <laughs> me feel better for two minutes. There you go. So just to Jeff's point, the uh, George Washington did a total of eight executive orders. And as of right now, um, this is TBD on this website I'm looking at, but like I said, it's 32 for, for Joe Biden. Donald Trump um, did 220. Um, Barack Obama did 276. The difference is four years versus eight years. So Donald Trump was averaging 55. Obama was averaging 35. George Bush um, averaged 36 a year. Um, Clinton averaged 42. Um, the first George Bush did 42. Um, but here's a crazy one. Jimmy Carter um, put up 320 executive orders or an average of 80 per year. How many did Ronald Reagan do? Reagan did 48. So like I said, I mean, this is a problem that goes back very far, but as Mike mentioned, George, George Washington, who was on, who was in office for eight years, did eight, which means an average of one a year. And I don't know the nature of all of those executive orders. We could easily go find them, but I mm-hmm. guarantee you, none of them enacted policy without, with, without going through the legislature. They were probably things more along the lines of giving literal orders to the executive branch, which is what an executive order is intended to do. What they are doing now is enacting policy. They're enacting legislation without the legislature which I guarantee you is not what is not what George Washington did. Right. Yeah. So the, the first president to break um, a thousand was Theodore Roosevelt. And then the second was Woodrow Wilson. So 
Um, Teddy did a thousand eighty, and Woodrow did um, eighteen hundred. I'm sure I'm surprised by Teddy, to be honest with you. I would I am, expected I, FDR, I would have expected uh, Franklin Roosevelt would have would not surprise me, but Teddy so actually F, does. Yeah, so FDR is puts up almost uh, four thousand. And for the record, FDR was in in office for three and a half terms before he died. Yes, twelve point one two. Uh, 12.12 years yeah but he's still that's still averaging 307 executive orders per year yeah it's it's insane and again i I, the the intent behind what an executive order is meant to be versus what they've become is the problem Mm -hmm. um they're 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 bypassing the legislature oh i'm not going to enforce immigration law because i don't feel like it oh i i want to give these people citizenship so i'm just going to do it with the right of a pen none of that was in the none of that was the intention of the presidency no like you said that's getting to dictatorship which biden called out as being dictatorship and i agree with him when he said that and then he goes on and becomes a dictator that's the that's the issue is like you're saying the right things some of the times but then you're doing the wrong things most of the time which i think we both saw coming I mean, there's a reason why we were caught fighting leftists for a while. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and and at our core, I mean, we're still doing that. We're fixing the right while fighting the left. <laughs> yeah, we're multitasking now, people. That's right. So let's let's shift gears a little bit and stay kind of on the Biden train for a minute before we shift gears completely away from Biden. But I want to talk about a Washington Post article that was written earlier this week, um, or it might have been late last week now at this point, because all my days kind of blur together, but it was published on January 21st. So what day of the week was that? That was, that would have been next uh, last Thursday, last Thursday. Okay. So it was published on January 21st, but it was written by Margaret Sullivan in the Washington post, which I mean, everybody knows the Washington post is laughable. Although it's funny, by the way, the Washington post owner, Jeff Bezos, who, you know, the Washington (laughs) post talks about how mail in mail in ballots are not, prone to problems but jeff bezos came out you know because they were used against him in an amazon unionization pro, uh, uh vote now he's talking about the issues with mail-in voting don't want to go down that road right now unless you want to come back to it but i wanted to point that out because i find it hilarious um the blatant hypocrisy now it impacts my wallet and suddenly mail-in va- mail-in ballots are bad um but anyway so margaret sullivan of the washington post published an article last week that talked about how the media should be happy about the return to normalcy under Biden, but there's a problem with that return to normalcy. And I'll sum up the article really quickly. The, the basic concept of her article was now that they don't have to deal with Trump, they can go back to civility and having a president who actually has regular press briefings and who tells them things. But the, the bad side of that is going back to normal means that eventually after they get over being so happy and and writing all their puff pieces and she basically says this doesn't use the term puff pieces but basically says this says then the media is going to realize oh we have to look objective so we need to be tough on joe biden just like we were on obama and clinton and and she ultimately comes out and says the media can't do that the media needs to not take a hard stance against anything he does we can't speak truth to power the way they always say they do because that will get in the way of our agenda of Biden's agenda. Look at the damage it did to Hillary Clinton because we reported on what she did. And so her emails became a scandal in 2016. We can't do that to Joe Biden. So she actually comes out and says, we cannot be tough on them. We cannot ask them tough questions. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter because the, the Biden's press secretary is horrible. Um, I've been trying to watch as much as I, I watch Trump, um, Trump's press secretary. Um, so one of the things I've noticed is that she doesn't know anything or she chooses not to say anything. She says a lot of things like, good question. I'll get back to you. And for anyone who has like an office job, that's what you say when you don't know or you weren't paying attention. Let's, let's be real here. And she it's, says yeah, it's mostly what you say when you don't want to answer the or you don't want to answer the question. Yeah. Like, I'm going to hope you forget about this. Yeah, and let's, I'm never let's, 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 let's talk about this offline. And that never happens. Whereas, uh, what's the name? Kayla McEnany? Was that Trump's Kayla last? McEnany, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kaylee she, McEnany. Kaylee, sorry. sorry. Thank you. Um, she actually brought like a thick, like four inch binder to every uh, press briefing. And she's like, hold on one second. Let me pull up the exact quote or the exact number. She came prepared. I know this is, uh, I think her name is Jen's first week, but um, Kaylee came prepared the, the first day because she knew she was going to have to fight the media. So this, to get, get to bounce off your point, it shows who's who's ready to, to fight the press and who knows they don't have to. Yeah, I mean, even the one tough question she was asked the second day in office was, why did he violate his executive order on federal grounds? And her answer was, well, they were celebrating a historic day for our country. Like, that should never have been an answer that flew. Like the press, if if the press had any integrity in this country, the way they pretend to, they would have immediately latched onto that and that would have been a big deal. But instead it went by the wayside. Nobody talked about it. So let me read you a few paragraphs of their, they're short. So let me read three paragraphs of, of this article because they kind of sum up everything. So she's talking about, you know, what normalcy should be, how they should fight moving forward. And so she says, they will resist false, they being the media, they will resist false equivalency. For example, they'll think twice before they put a reality denying Senator like Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley on the air to promote false claims about election fraud, simply because they feel the need to balance all the democratic, all the, and she puts in parentheses, truthful democratic voices. They will clearly call out lies. They will identify racism or white supremacy by using plain language instead of euphemism. If you believe that tr now with Trump gone, you can go back to the way things were, you will be complicit in allowing miscreants to avoid the blame and focus they deserve and create more ground for lies and bombast, wrote Norman Ornstein, an emeritus scholar at the American Enterprise Institute in a powerful Twitter thread. He's right. By the end of the Trump administration, the national press was doing things differently and better. More than in the past, some journalists, certainly not all, were standing, standing up for democracy without embarrassment, without fearing they'd be called partisan. Some had figured out how to present an election not as a mere horse race, but as a question about substance, character, and the nation's future. But now the comfortable norms have returned and the new administration is so much easier for most national journalists, journalists to like, the old journalistic norms may return too. That would be a shame. The lessons were hard won. They shouldn't be forgotten. I read a few more than three paragraphs at the end of that, but because um, some of those were, were necessary, but that just the tone of that, that the blatant partisanship, the, the, the disregard for truth or fact reporting 
is so ridiculous. The editorializing in that is absurd. She is openly calling for eliminate voices from the from the right. Only say say the things you want and call out everybody who disagrees with Biden, with with the current administration, and with the media as white supremacists and nationalists. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing in the media a uh, hundred years ago would have never happened. And no, not at all. Wrong, I've never had a tremendous amount of respect for journalists, and I still don't. I think it might be the the single worst and most despicable trade on the planet. Um, I think that prostitutes have more integrity and honor than journalists, and I would say that <laughs> any time of the day. Um, but this is just outright insanity. Um, I don't know if I would go that far, but I can't really think of a journalist that I like that or that I want to follow. <laughs> I can't. I I am not retracting my statement. I stand by it fully. Go for it. I'm I'm gonna make that like our our preview for this when I figure out how to do video editing. Go for it, because I mean I, I have a big problem with the media. Like journalists are are heroes in their own minds, and that's the problem. Is they think everything they do is for the right and 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 for the good, and some of it is, and some journalists are great, but as a profession, it has no integrity left. Oh yeah left now yeah i agree i think they stood for something way back when oh yeah like 200 years ago (laughs) when ben franklin was a journalist i don't know if i go that far back but i can't really think of a of journalist that i like so maybe you're right maybe maybe it's more recently but i know for a fact back then they they served a purpose but well i think the issue started when news went 24 hours they and they just have to fill the air instead of having only have to fill two or three hours I think that's where the, the downturn happened. And I think it sped up uh, when the internet became mainstream. And now they have to compete with, you know, 20 different other websites and regular blogs and people like us. Like, they, you can get the information from so many places now. You have to do other things for people to want to watch you besides just provide the facts. I think it, I actually think it was before. I think that's a big, I think that accelerated and made it worse. I think it started when news went on TV. Mm even before the 24 hour news cycle, when you had, when you made newsmen so powerful in the nation that they became a voice that could, that could speak things into existence. I think that's when it be, when news moved from print to uh, like to visual media, I think became a problem. Hmm. That's funny. I was thinking, I think of, uh, what was it? Is it Anchorman or Anchorman 2? Where like he's I've never seen with- Anchorman two because I heard it was horrible, but I don't okay. know. So, so if it's Anchorman two, I won't get the reference. But go on. Okay, well then, he's pretty much he's trying to his girlfriend or wife goes to a different news station, so he tries to steal viewers by like following a car chase, and like before then, everyone just assumed it was boring, but the way that he was reporting it, like up oh, up oh, something may happen that it actually like pulled in views and kind of started the sensation uh, journalism. So it was, it was Ron Burgundy's fault. That's interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen Anchorman too. I watch a lot of TV and movies, so I always have a reference to give out. Fair that's, enough. That's, that's my purpose to this. In facts, every now and then. So I'll pull back from my uh, anti-media. By the way, part of my hatred for the media stems from people like Brian Stelter saying that anybody who criticizes the media is basically speaking violence against them. Um, that amplifies my <laughs> hatred for those people. 
Or yeah. people like the guys at Politico that have a, uh, like a breakdown that Ben Shapiro wrote an article in their in their website. Yeah, that was funny. Um, and also, uh, look, I'm somebody that doesn't even like Ben Shapiro all that much, to be honest with you. I find Ben Shapiro slightly irritating, but that reaction is absurd. Yeah, I prefer from the Daily Wire. I prefer Michael Knows. Um, yep. I think I like Ben Shapiro when he's. Um, like doing speeches speeches and when he's talking to people but like his normal podcast is i can i can take it or leave it that's yeah, be like I, a really interesting day i think the fact that he does something like four hours or three hours every single day is like i don't think it's three hours worth of stuff to talk about every single day see i think there are people who can do it and uh, like i i like rush limbaugh i find it i don't want to turn this into a hey what people on the right do we like but i like rush limbaugh because he actually makes things entertaining and he's not trying to sound smarter than you than everybody he's just trying to tell you his opinion but um don't get me wrong i like ben shapiro he's smart and he's an interesting guy but i don't agree with i don't i don't like him as much as others but we could talk about that off air because not everyone probably cares about that if for some reason you actually are curious what other conservative commentators we like shoot it to us uh shoot the question to us in chat or in an email mike and jeff at gmail.com that is m-y-k-e and jeff at gmail.com be happy to answer it next week on the air but for now we're gonna move on or feel free to slide into my DMs. That's what the last few questions come from, have came from. And that is at MJ Write the Right. There you go. Actually, for no, it's MJ Writing Right. At MJ, MJ Writing, Writing right. right. For Instagram and Twitter. You think we would know it, but we've changed it a few times. Well, and Twitter handles are annoying because like you can't ever get what you actually want. So you got to pick something that's similar. Very true. Yes, it is MJ like writing. Like the last one that had a million right. stupid underscores in it. <laughs> yeah. MJ writing right. I'm looking at it right now. That's what it is. We currently have 10 posts up. We will make it 11 tomorrow because I'm going to bed after this. All right. All right. Well, on that note, let's keep moving. Yeah. So, so last Biden topic of the night, and then we'll move into some non-Bidens. That is a great idea. So let's talk about the fact that Biden hasn't met with Black Lives Matter. And I just wanted to point out the amount of hate that Ice Cube got for meeting with Donald Trump before the election and trying to get, um, or he got $500 million in there for black people in, in underserved, underserved communities. And he tried to meet with a, a Biden and Biden's like, we'll get to you later. And I told people, this shows you that Democrats only care about black votes and not black people, but lo and behold, so, the Black Lives Matter, um, they posted this December 9th, and it says it has been 32 days since we requested a meeting with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We've heard no response. And to the best of my knowledge, and I'm going, assuming to the best of Jeff's knowledge, Correct. there still hasn't been any update. So we're, we're, we're pushing now um, a, a month or seven weeks, roughly, um, since the Black Lives Matter movement wanted to speak with Joe Biden. Well, actually... Actually, that's seven weeks since oh, the last right. update they gave because they wanted right. to meet so with them after weeks. the election. So we're talking almost three months now. You're right. You're right. 11, 12 months. 11, sorry, 11, 12 weeks. Like I said, folks, I've had a long day. My brain is is running on like E, but I'm going to keep going. But this is what I'm talking about where I say that the black vote is the only thing that matters. The, the thing is when black people vote for Democrats, at 80 or 90 percent 
and they continue to do so year after year without the Democrats doing anything, they don't care about you after the vote. So they'll, they'll so for instance, they talk about how the Republicans are trying to keep you from voting by with, with the voting laws. You know, if they actually cared about you, they would actually be trying to get you to to get licenses or identification. They would say the voting laws are, are rigged. So here's some here's a way to get um, the voting uh, under these new laws, and then we're going to work to fix them. Instead, they go see these new laws. The Republicans are racist. Vote for us. And since we're on right and right, I think that's one thing that the conservative movement can do to say we want voter IDs, and we're also going to work um, either through the government or through um, um, charities to get people who don't have IDs IDs. I think that's a great way for conservatives to, you know, not look to not look as evil. Uh, under the media, because it's hard for the media to to spin that. Where they're saying we want you to have an ID, and here's a way for you to get an ID. Sorry, kind of went off on a tangent there. But what what are your thoughts, Jeff? No, I mean I think you summed it up well. There's not much I can add. They, it was always about getting that voting block, and never about actually doing anything for the black community. And at some point, they might meet with Black Lives Matter, but I wouldn't be surprised if they never do. Now, granted, you and I have both talked about the fact that Black Lives Matter doesn't care about the Black community either, and that is a true statement, but that's not, it's not like that's the fundamental reason Joe Biden's not meeting with them. It'd be one thing if he came out and said, I'm not meeting with Black Lives Matter because of these mission statement points that I don't agree with, but I'm going to meet with Black civil leaders. Uh, that's not what he's doing. He's just not taking the meeting because he doesn't care to take the meeting. He has right. no need for them until three and a half years from now when the next election sample cycle ramps up. And then suddenly he's going to talk and talk and talk about how the Republicans are evil and they want to keep you from, from voting and they want to keep you from having prosperity. And then he's never going to meet with them again. I would not be surprised if his entire presidency doesn't take a meeting with these people because he doesn't care to. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I saw a meme um, where it says, it was like Trump's like, here's 500 um, million. Maybe it was 500 billion. I feel like I'm saying a number too low for the, the uh, black communities. I think it was 500 billion, but I don't yeah, know. Sorry. I don't Five, remember that makes, exactly. It makes sense for, for the federal government. It should be 500 billion. 500 million seems like um, not useless, but nothing that you would need to fight for, for the for federal money, if that makes sense. But yeah, with the way our federal governments run, 500 million is like pocket change. Right. And then, sorry, so then underneath- It's run out, out to gerbil mating studies. Yeah, Jeff's being serious, by the way. Um, but underneath the, the the meme said it was Biden. It's like the best I can do is Harry Tubman on the twenty. Actually, what's funny is I I saw something similar about that. That try it was exactly basically the same thing that Trump gave money to the black community. Biden Biden talks about putting black woman on cash that no one carries anymore. Yeah, like I seriously, pretty much. Every time I get paid, I'll pull out like a hundred dollars, and then once that's gone, I don't get any other money until two weeks later. And that's assuming I decide to go to the bank, which is like a half mile from my house. Sometimes I'm too lazy for, even for that. I rarely have cash. Hardly yeah. ever do I have cash. So, but yeah, it's. I, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna meet with him anytime soon. And if he has met with him, and you know that, again, please let us know in in our DMs or in our chat or in our email. Um, but to my knowledge, he has still not met with them. Mm -hmm. All right, so 
let's do our last few topics, Mike, and then move to nerd topics. Sound good? Yeah, well, let's let's actually do the the games up one. I like to do the the listener requests and then nerd topic kind of back to back. Perfect. As, a new, as like just a format thing. So for those of you who don't know, um, GameStop is a horrible company that's dying out, um, and I'm surprised it's still around. However, for reasons that we'll explain, GameStop went from like two dollars or twenty dollars depending on where you're looking up to three hundred and forty six dollars in a matter of days the reason is is because well the internet is petty and when the internet does petty things from time to time i don't know if jeff wants to elaborate anymore sure i mean i'll elaborate so basically the um there's a there's a reddit subreddit thread called wall street bets which i've seen before i've gone on it i don't go on reddit very much um, but it's a bunch of people who are like day traders, some who clearly, if you listen, uh, read the things they post, have knowledge of how the market works and some who are just people who buy stocks occasionally and want to dick around on the internet. Um, but they made it their mission for one reason or another. And I don't know all the genesis of this, but made it their mission to effectively prove to wall street that they could undermine a bunch of people short selling the GameStop stock because someone on the wall street bets subreddit realized at some point um, early this week or late last week that Mm -hmm. GameStop stock that they had a lot of them had bought up recently was in a negative float position. And I'm not going to get into a lot of stock terms on this show because a lot of people probably don't care, but essentially what that means is there were more stocks being shorted than were actually being available for trade. So what that meant is people who are, people are shorting, very easy definition is they're betting on a stock to go down. And to do that, they're basically borrowing stock at at the current price and with the ascension, and they're going to make money on buying the stock later at the low price. It's going to drop at to go and cover their, cover their options. Um, Anyway. uh, And that's a very poor explanation, but getting into the details of how stock shorts work would make this really long and really boring. Um, or would take somebody who's just better at explaining it than I, than I am. I understand it, but I can't explain it well. Um, anyway, they discovered that, hey, all these hedge, hedge funds, specifically Melvin Capital, um, was one that had a very large short position. I believe there are a few others, but Melvin's the one that I'm, I've seen the most, had a really large short position on GameStop. And these, sub, uh, these guys on Reddit realized that they controlled pretty much all the stock. And so a bunch of people started buying it up and holding on to it and refusing to sell, which made the people who were shorting it unable to buy up the stock they needed to sell off at the, 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 to sell off, which made the price keep going up. And the price kept going up and going up and going up every day because they kept refusing to sell when you got to the part of the short called the squeeze, when they're, when the short, the guys who are shorting are basically desperate for those shares so they can cover their position and cut their losses because now they're to a point where they are going to lose money, but it's a question of how much. And the more the stock rises, the harder, the more money they will lose. As of earlier today, Melvin Capital had already lost somewhere in the range of $3 billion on this. Now I've heard, I've read conflicting reports on whether or not that position has been closed, meaning whether or not they're completely out or if they're still losing more. Um, But they've lost somewhere in the range of $3 billion on this. And some other hedge funds have lost money as well. 
Um, so that's essentially what happened is these guys on Reddit have decided they're just not going to sell their GameStop stock and they're going to let it ride all the way up to some people are trying to get to a thousand. Elon Musk said, if it gets to a thousand, he'll put GameStop's logo on his next SpaceX rocket. Um, and it's kind of taken down wall street a little bit and become a really big deal out of nowhere. Yeah. So let's uh, let everyone know, um, on January 21st, the um, the the high was $39. Um, today, the high was $351. Um, and just for today alone, the change in price was $199.53, or a whopping 134. 0.84% change in one day. So that's the, that's how massively it's climbed. Like I said, I just went to, to the five day mark. Um, if you go even further, it's, it's, it's way worse. It was under five. It was, it was single digit stock early in the month to give people a real big perspective on. I mean, it's, it's grown that much. It's gone from, it was trading around four or five bucks beginning of January. I want to say, and it's now over 350. So the question might yeah, it looks, be- It looks like it dropped down to like, it was at 17 at its lowest in January. I could have sworn it was single digits and it was never single digits in January. Um, it could be. I'm just looking at the, um, the open and close. Oh, okay. So maybe during the, during the day, gotcha, I wouldn't be surprised. Gotcha. Either way. Um, a ridiculous change for a company huge, huge that, that one, no one likes- because this I mean, there's a runny joke about I just bought this game and I turn it back the next day and the best I can get is 25 cents. That's how people view GameStop. It somehow still survive yet right now. Yeah, yeah nobody it's, nobody likes GameStop. I mean, this is a company that during COVID like tried to c- claim they were a a, a essential cr- business, a critical business, so they could stay open and like nobody goes there and most people just download their games digitally now. But right. So what you might be wondering is why is writing the right talking about GameStop? Because aside from the fact that it's just humorous to me, um, what is the reason? The reason that Mike and I thought this might be a worthwhile topic is because some of the things that have happened today specifically around this kind of show, I want to paint the picture for everyone of the connection between big tech, Wall Street, and the federal government. Because that's where this gets into a writing the right topic for me is, again, aside from the fact that it's just straight up funny, and I encourage anyone who doesn't know it to go check it out and read some articles, but it's very funny. Yeah, GameStop, um, was it Blackberry, uh, uh, AMC, AMC? Theaters. Mm-hmm. I think Genius maybe one. I think uh, Nokia maybe another one. I think it's really just... It happened to GameStop, and now people are like, "Oh, let's see, you can do this for other stuff. places." Yeah, because these stocks are like relatively low in value, so it's easy for the average person to just buy up a a bunch. Just you know, take your stimulus check and like, <laughs> all right, I just went and bought 150 shares with money that I may not um, care about. I can just hold on to it and see what happens. Exactly, and so the reason that this is again, the reason that this is something everyone should care about is what appears to be massive collusion between the government, the big tech and wall street around all of this. And the, and the concerning precedent this sets, because after all this started happening and and hedge funds, which are 
Wall Street, you know, there are two types of traders on Wall Street. There are, there's, there are firms that invest, which are like institutional investing. And then there are retail traders, which are people like you and I buying stocks. Hmm. And institutional investors look down their nose at retail investors because we're uneducated, we're stupid. We're, we're not the, the brilliant hedge fund managers that they are, that they can manipulate the market and make money when everyone else is losing it. And so not, that's not how only they that, they can trade you no know, out off off hours and they have inf- access to information that we don't. So even, you know, if they weren't trained to do this, they still have a, a natural, not a natural, uh, an advantage over us. They do. So, yeah. So that I mean, honestly, for the, for the most part, um, I tend to, to lean more on my, my 401k than for my investing, because I know the people who are handling my 401k know more things about stock and have access to more information than I will. This is just a random, random, random statement. But and no, and, that, and that's a really good point. And, and it's, I, I think that's kind of the, kind of the point as well is that, look, the, this is the kind of the Wall Street overlords that ultimately are running the financial sector of our world. Um, and so they, I think they look down their nose a lot at regular people, right? And so once this started happening and Reddit became the, the cause of major hedge funds, uh, you know, hedge fund managers losing money, Suddenly today, TD Ameritrade shut down trading on GameStop stock mm-hmm. and AMC stock. And suddenly um, there were outages on E-Trade. There were outages on, um, on Charles Schwab all around trading for GameStop. All very, in, uh, very interesting. There were people calling for Robinhood to be shut down. There were people calling for Reddit to be deplatformed. Um, because of, of what this is do of what's going on. And discord actually went and blocked wall street bets channel and took them off because of hateful speech, which they had never been on anyone's radar before this, but now because it's affecting wall street, you suddenly had all these things overnight. You had massive groups where you saw big tech jump in discord kind of, you know, deplatformed wall street bets, people calling for Reddit to be taken, you know, taken down by their internet provider, a la parlor by Amazon. Um, and you saw, you saw people in, in wall street protecting their own by saying, well, you can't stop the hedge fund. So we're going to stop trading on this so that you can, because, because they were saying there was volatility. I want to point something out literally so far, nothing that has been done violates to my knowledge, I'm by no means a, an expert on, on uh, securities and exchange commission regulations, but mm-hmm. I am knowledgeable enough to know that from everything I have seen, nothing has been done by any of these day traders that violates stock manipulation law. Now, no, I've seen mind, either. mind you, hedge fund managers run that line all day long. That's what they do. That's how they make their money. And that's fine. That's capitalism. But now they're getting beaten their own game. And so Wall Street simply cannot stand it. And I've already seen people calling for Congress to regulate the regulate the ability of, of traders to do things like this on um, and come together as a block on Reddit or to use Robinhood. You've already seen Wall Street block people from trading, which if I'm GameStop's board of, GameStop's board of directors, I'd be looking into whether or not that's a violation of SEC regs. I don't know okay. if it is, but it certainly seems like it should be. Um, and you're seeing people get deplatformed over this. That's why this again is a writing the right topic because you saw a bunch of people who came together and granted their motivation might've been to stick it to the man, 
but nothing they did was illegal. They Here's bought the stocks in a company they chose to support. Literally right. the reason behind the stock market. But And the thing is, it doesn't matter your motivation as long as no. it's legal. It's legal. And, and look, the reality is shorting stocks is, is, you know, you could argue against the intent of why the stock market was created. I don't have a problem with it. If you can make money on it, go for it. But these people did what the stock market is actually intended for. They found a company that they wanted to support for whatever motivation, and they chose to buy and hold that stock, which is how companies that are publicly traded generate investment. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. They're generating their capital, right? And yeah. so people now don't like that the common man is able to manipulate the market the way our Wall Street overlords regularly manipulate the market. And they're calling on their friends in Congress to step in for them. They're calling on their friends in big tech to step in for them. So again, this started out as a topic that's funny, but the reason it's important in my mind is because we need to, we talk about what can the right do about this? We need to realize that when we protect big business, we should also be protecting little guys because we should be protecting capitalism, not big businesses, not hedge fund managers. We should be protecting people who are doing nothing wrong and protecting GameStop's benefiting from this. And you know what? If GameStop ultimately fails at the end because they are a bad company that doesn't have Which the revenue are. to support this valuation, they should then die. so be it. I hate them. Say that again? Yeah, I don't like them because during my middle school days, I, they, I sold a lot of my, my games to them and got no money for them. Oh yeah, so I, I, was, I, was, I can't. Stand I was happy when stuff. yeah, I happy. I was happy when eBay started, and I could could sell my games for a decent profit. And I'm, I'm happy now that um, Xbox and the PlayStation have options where you don't options where the discs aren't available, so that can pre, pretty much kills the resale. It brings me joy. Yeah, I, I, I also have a PC, stuff. so I've been buying all my games through Steam anyway. I can't remember the last time I bought a physical game, but that's besides the point. The point is. GameStop needs to go down, but not before it brings me joy in this form, this fashion right here. No, I'm, and I'm right there with you. I hate GameStop individually, but the problem is, again, what can the right do about this? That's always the question we keep asking. What should we be doing? We should be protecting the rights of American investors to invest legally and for companies to profit off of that investment and benefit from it. And we should not be, be giving inordinate advantage to big wigs in Wall Street and letting Congress and letting big tech and letting Wall Street collude to prevent that from happening because that's all this is. There is no, you cannot tell me that TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, E-Trade, all having issues trading that stock and shutting down trading in the yeah. same time Discord with, Within like hours of each other. Is, is all coincidental. And actually in some cases it was within minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's why, again, I wanted to bring up, I wanted to bring it full circle. Why is this a topic we talked about? That's why, because that's a big problem. It's, it's perfectly, Americans need to have the ability to stand up to the big guy. That's what America's about. And if yeah. you don't believe that, you shouldn't be in this country. Well, not even that. It's a, a, Republican, a Republican is built so that the minority doesn't get ran over. So, you know, obviously there's more of us but we're still the minority in, in this case of, of stock investing. We're not, we're not, we're the little guy. And when this is why we don't have a, power for sure. Right. This is, this is why we don't have a, a true democracy. Uh, and this is why I, I feel true democracy are, are bad. And it's all about the Republic, which America is in case people don't know that. Well put.
So anyway, if you haven't read about GameStop, go read about it. It's very funny. Aside from the, we, we brought, we got to the realism of it, but just go read. It's actually a hilarious story. And I really hope that it cripples quite a few uh, hedge funds. Because frankly, I have no problem with hedge funds, but I do kind of like seeing them get it stuck to them by people who just decided, you know what? Screw you. Yeah. It's like, hey, if you're going to do something this douchey, then this is what you get. You get the wrath of a, a few million people with 20 bucks in their pocket. <laughs> it was, it was, look, it started out. And the other thing is started out just funny in general, but the more things they're doing to try and stop it, the more I want it to succeed and bankrupt those hedge funds. Because mm-hmm. now you've gone from it being something that was just amusing to now it's almost like I am picking a side in a war. Like you've decided that you want to stop the day, the, the day trader, the retail investor from being able to make a choice. So I hope you run out of, I hope you get bankrupted. Yes. All right. So let's talk our, our last political topic before our nerd topic. So um, Mike, you got the request. So I'd like you to kind of lay it out for us because I know it's third party candidates, but um, for listeners and myself, this is a surprise topic. I, I kept it, we kept it that way on purpose. Um, so I'm not prepped for this, but what is the specific uh, question our listener asked? So what they were asking is, it's just how we felt about third party candidates. That's, I mean, that's really what the question is. And what could we do to, I guess, get more third party candidates um, a chance of actually winning the, the presidency? Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about like the, the MAGA, MAGA party. So kind of splitting the Republican party. So maybe we can hop on that first. So what are your thoughts on another political party? I know Trump has come out and said that he's not going to do that. But what, what are your thoughts if Trump were to do that, to, to create another party? Uh, I, I mean, a Trump specific party, I, I really don't want. So, um, a Trump, but, a party led by Trump. It's, no, it's no, no, call I, the Magna Party. Yeah. no, I know what you mean. I'm just saying, I don't want that to be, a, I think there are plenty of parties out there already that exist. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think we need that movement. Um, but then again, I mean, is there really a true conservative party? You could argue there's not. Um, so maybe the, I've heard, uh, talk of, instead of calling it the MAGA party, calling it the Patriot party. Um, and according to polling, it would bump the Republicans down to third place in votes. Um, so maybe there's value in it, whether it's Trump led or not. Um, I won't get into that, but my thoughts on a third party initially going into last, the last election cycle. Um, I spoke about this a little bit and I've talked about this a few times in, in recent weeks. Well, well, um, Maybe when we're talking about this, talk about how we felt about the Georgia Senate race. Yeah, yeah, we uh, that's true. We talked about it then. So, um, like I said, prior to prior to now, I have always had the opinion that a third party was concept was more of a conceptually good idea than a real realistically practical good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have always been one for hold your nose and vote vote for. Uh, the Republican candidate over the third party candidate, because <clears throat> while I don't like straight party voting, I do believe in just the reality and the practicality of the fact that the third party candidate wasn't going to win. And if the third party and if the Republican candidate was better than the Democrat, I would rather put them in and have the lesser of two evils rather than throw my vote away. That's been my opinion my entire political life up to about a month ago when I'm declared on this program that I have left the Republican party. Um, I'm not affiliated right now. I'm an unaffiliated um, person, you know, whatever that means, independent. Um, 
because there isn't a party I think that really like some of my ideals are libertarian, some are not. Um, I most strongly consider myself a conservative, but there isn't a true conservative party um, because libertarians in some cases go way too far with things that I don't agree with. Uh, constitutionalists don't agree with all of my viewpoints either. Um, so I'm just straight up, I am just a conservative. That is how I identify myself. I am an unaffiliated person. So I now feel third party candidates are a good idea. What we need to do to make that actually meaningful is that I do think we probably need a conservative party. Like there was the bull moose party for Teddy Roosevelt that got him elected. I mean, I think we need to rally behind it. And honestly, I said a moment ago, it shouldn't be true. Maybe it needs to be a Trump created party to get the base going. I don't know, but we need to create a party that has a platform that is purely conservative, socially and fiscally conservative. And that stands for that. And we need to only get candidates that really truly exemplify those things. And, and, the, and we should not like the problem with the Republican party became rhinos Republicans in name only. I don't know how you stop that from inf infiltrating your party other than by trying not to get politically established people. Um, I think a great movement would be to only find grassroots candidates who've never held political office. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's realistic in today's political climate, but I think that's the only way to do it. Yeah. What do you think? No, I, I agree. So um, all the times I've voted, I've probably voted for three or four different um, political parties. So I've never been on the um, vote only Democrat or, or vote only Republican. I think the one thing I would say is it may be better for us to focus on um, the local level or um, in the House or in the Senate and get a movement there first before we focus on uh, the presidency so it goes into kind of what jeff was talking about what's what's the um the better of two evils is it um voting for republican and potentially wasting your vote or is it going to the third party or sorry going, going for the third party candidate and i'll say wasting your vote in quotations because i think any vote that you cast that's educated isn't a wasted vote even if your your candidate's going to win or to just keep voting for the re Republican or keep voting for the Democrat to keep the, the other party out. Um, so I think one thing that, that I would recommend is there's a, a website called I side with, and it just kind of just goes through a, a bunch of different um, policies. And then at the end, it kind of gives you an output of what parties you most align with. One caveat I'll say is that, as of right now, it says I'm 84% um, Republican. And I think I'm 84% Republican in sense of what policy or what they say, but not in what they do. So um, I was going to it. I'm 84% Republican, 84% um, Constitution Party, 74% uh, Libertarian, and then 53% American uh, Solidarity. So that's one thing you can do is go into this and kind of get an idea of what your beliefs really are. So not just look at the party, but look at what your beliefs are. Then once you do that, you can at least know what to push. Um, you can know what to push Republicans or Democrats on. Um, so you know what the official um, the official policies are versus what your policies are. Or you can, you can find a different party, a third party that you can back. So Jeff, have you ever been with on iSide with? I'm just wondering. 
I'm actually taking the quiz now. I, I've it's never, a pretty so, long quiz, by the way. You might want to start it tomorrow. Just so F, FYI. It doesn't look that long. I mean, it's, it's I guess it's a little bit long. I'll take it as we're going through the nerd topic, and I'll give an update at the end on on what my results are. Um, so I won't hold up this whole segment for it because um, I can do this as we're talking because it's not a complicated quiz. Because if there's one thing that if there's one thing that everyone who listens to this program should know is while I may not have taken this quiz before, I am very clear about what I believe. Um, so answering the questions will not be difficult for me. I know what I believe. There is no gray area for me on any of my beliefs. Um, right. So I'll, I'll give you an example of a question. Do you support the, the legalization of marijuana? There's yes, no, or other stances. And then it goes, yes, but only for medical use. Yes. And immediately release anyone serving time solely for drug offenses. Yes. And legalize tax and regulate marijuana instead of criminalizing it. So it's not just, there's just yes or no answers if you don't have a, a deep understanding of your beliefs, but I would recommend clicking on other stances so you can get the, um, sometimes there's only one, but sometimes there's like five or six different stances to get a, a better nuanced opinion. So, yeah. And, and so like I said, I think it's, this is a good, a good place for someone to go if they want to find out which candidates and parties they support. I think the biggest problem and Mike, you said it well is I don't think that, it's going to tell me that I support the Republican party probably a lot would be my guess. Um, but that's what the Republican party claims to stand for. Not what the Republican party does. Um, right. I think, I, I, I really think there does need to be a new party. I just, I, I struggle with how we go about making that successful because our political system has become so ingrained in the two party rule that it becomes very difficult to build a system, build a party that can fight that. And yeah, I think the, the 1960s was the last time there was a, a viable third party candidate. If I'm, if I'm correct, right. If, uh, do you have, we have anything else up your head? The last uh, like viable meaning. I mean, there, I can't think of a time there's, there's never been a viable third party candidate. That was really a true threat for the white house. The, I say viable the, as in actually one, um, states in the general election. So I feel like, I think it was in 1960, 1964. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a long time ago. Cause I mean, the most popular third party candidate candidates since you and I have been alive would have been like Ross Perot and Ralph Nader. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them ever won a state in the electoral college. And no one since them has Joe Jurgen uh, Jurgensen didn't. I mean, so viable third party candidate is a very loose term. Like, I think you're on to something with trying to win the Congress. The only problem is if you're one or two, if you're one or two seats in the Senate or in the house in your party, you have no political clout with the way the Congress is run because you ultimately have to join a caucus. And, and you ultimately, I mean, like, you're not going to have any power because the Republicans, if you're not, if you're not truly a Republican, the Republicans may not view you as an ally and put you on any committees. If you're not, uh, and if you're on the right, you're definitely not going to be viewed that way by the Democrats. So winning in the Congress, unless you can do it in, in mass, I don't know that it does anything. And, but winning the presidency is dang near impossible. That's where a third party becomes really challenging. Um, that's why it almost becomes more valuable to try and primary people out of the Republican Party and reform and reshape what the Republican Party is 
Um, but that also presents its own challenges. So not a great answer to the listener that asked this, but it was a really good question. One that we will probably continue to readdress. Um, because I think there's a lot of merit to reforming a true conservative party. But again, if you can't win on mass in the Congress, you have no power. It's, it's a moral victory, but that is all. And while a moral victory is nice in the sense that we can say we voted our conscience, we got a candidate that we really believe in, it doesn't do anything in reshaping the country. Yeah. So I think we'll see what happens in, in uh, I guess, a year and a half when we have the 22, um, 2022 elections. I want to see what happens when on the candidates that Trump endorses. To see how much, how many of those people that, that he can win. So I think if that shows a, a viable, is viable, I think the Republican Party can be saved. But if not, then I think we'll need to move to a, a third party. And then, so in 1968, um, so so if people don't know, um, a lot of people were pushing that uh, Richard Nixon won the South because of a, a Southern strategy, which he was doing like a, a dog whistle to the, the racist. And that's, that's when the um, states switched red. But what happened was you had Humphrey win 192 electoral votes. Um, you have Nixon win 301, but Wallace won 46. And he essentially won the South. He won Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and he got an electoral vote in North Carolina. So that's, that's what I mean by viable has some, won some states and sorry and just to hop on the southern strategy one more time in those states um nixon got third place it was wallace humphreys and then nixon in those states so if there was a southern strategy it was done by wallace and humphrey not by nixon i just wanted to point that out because a lot of people use that as to say that's when the republican party went racist um, sorry go ahead random random fact no, I mean, that's a good point. I think the way you laid it out is good. If we can, if we can, if we can win back the Republican party, that's the right way to go because that's, there's already an entrenched establishment power that can help us. But again, it's that, that also seems like an insurmountable mountain to climb right now, right now. So it's something, mm -hmm. it's something that we're going to be devoting a lot of time to on the show. That's why this topic's come up probably three or four times now. Um, and, and again, I'm, I appreciate the listener who asked because it is an important topic. Third party candidates is something that I have historically told everyone I thought was a bad idea that on principle, yeah, they're great, but vote, but it doesn't get you anywhere. But even I've reversed course on it. And I think that it's something that we as Americans need to really think hard about is if more of us do this, that that's the thing is maybe the way to go is we need to be willing and knowledgeable that we're going to lose some elections for the next few elections because we're going to vote against the Republican candidates that they put up if they're not real conservatives. And the Republican Party will fall in line because they won't want to keep losing elections. Or it will kill the Republican Party and a new party will present itself. One of two things will happen. Mm -hmm. um, and if we as an American people can be okay with that, then maybe that'll work. The problem is, if things, if, if we continue to be, be led down a more and more progressive path, are we going to be, is that going to be a palatable solution to allow ourselves to not have the power to be at least a roadblock, even if we're not effective, even if we can't 
drive conservative policy, can we create gridlock? And that becomes the, that becomes the rub, right? Is where do you draw the line of, is it better to just be a roadblock and not let progressivism destroy our country further? Um, I don't have an answer today, but it's something I will continue to give thought about and give time to on the, on the air. Yeah. I think a good thing for us to do is um, next year when the candidates start coming out more and we have started to get more of the policies, we can even start to endorse people, maybe not as right in the right, but maybe as just Mike and Jeff individually. So hopefully through that, you can get some endorsements of third parties, uh, candidates, or at least um, some underdog uh, Republicans. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mike. Mm-hmm. And thank you, listener, for asking that topic. So let's shift gears um, and go into our nerd topic of the week. Sound good? Yeah. So our nerd topic this week was another fan request. Um, so we appreciate that. Same because... fan, by the way. What? Same fan. Oh. We have a, you... we have a, we have a, super, a super fan over here. Awesome. Well, even better. Well, thank you. Uh, appreciate the topic because... You know, our nerd topic, honestly, as much as Mike and I like talking nerd topics, we sometimes actually struggle with what we're going to talk about. Um, so and, many options. And, we have so many comics. So having a request actually helped us really, really well. So our nerd topic of the week, we're going to talk about Watchmen, which is obviously one of the most well-known um, and well-publicized comic books in the history of the, of the medium. And we're going to talk about the comic versus the movie um, and, and kind of, you know, what the differences are. Um, what our thoughts are on the comic, maybe its impact on on the genre. Um, but Mike, why don't you go ahead and give us kind of your initial thoughts and rundown while I complete this quiz and we'll keep going. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So we have the Watchmen comic that came out um, September. It started coming out September 1986. So it was um, a bunch of issues, but now most of the time when people see it, it's a 12 issues, but now when most people see it, it's it's a um, a trade. So at the time, it was, I feel at the time, it was revolutionary. Um, it was the first time that comics really got gritty um, and adult. And this is why a lot of people love this, this series when it came out, because it, it shifted the genre. So comics weren't just um, fun 10 cent comics that you get at the uh, at the newsstand they're actually with depth that you know older people could buy that being said can I weigh in for just a quick sec yeah go for it I don't mean to cut you off but it's it's funny so a lot of people view it the way you just described it and I know that it's kind of how it's built that it was revolutionary at the time interestingly enough the Dark Knight Returns Another considered monumental breakthrough comic for the same grittiness came out three months prior in 1986, ran from February to June of 1986. Just want to throw that out there. Here you go. So like I was saying, that being said, this comic is is hard to read for someone, um, what's this, uh, 35 years later. It's compared to comics today it's not a good comic it's hard to read through it's um so it's a 12 series so it's it's like the the thickness of a, of a bible almost and you know you would think with a lot of the the pictures it would it wouldn't take that long to read but it was a struggle to get through um 
and for it being in the in the eighties in the eighties, it doesn't really look that nice. I know they're, they're like the Dark Knight that Jeff mentioned that came out um, that same year. That one looks a lot better, and I, I think that style carries a lot better. But this style just it doesn't mesh with me. If that makes sense, um, Jeff, you is there anything you want to talk about the comic before we get into the actual the storyline itself in that comparison? Um, I think the the only big thing for me about Watchmen is it, it if you look at it in the lens of 1986, even knowing the Dark Knight Returns did come out the same year um, and has a lot of the same thought, it it was monumental in a, in a bit in a lot of ways. I mean it it kind of flipped the traditional narrative on its head, even more than the dark Knight returns. Cause the dark Knight returns still took a character that everyone really knew. And they just kind of made him very dark. Um, Watchmen was, was very unique. And what it did that, that dark Knight returns didn't do is it got political. Um, Watchmen is a very politically driven comic um, largely because Alan Moore was very politically driven. Um, and there's a lot of good things that came out of Watchmen. Um, but what's funny about Watchmen as well is Watchmen was also kind of written um, as a, it was meant to be written for DC heroes um, and all the, so what's funny about it is a lot of people talk about the uniqueness of the heroes in in Watchmen. And I always find that amusing because they're not unique. Uh, Rorschach, for example, was ripped off of, of the question. Um, most of the heroes in oh, Watchmen are rip off of Randy and heroes from, from DC comics because Alan Moore initially wrote it to be using DC heroes, got told he couldn't use their heroes, uh, wrote the Watchmen. Then um, obviously DC published it. We can, we'll get into that later um, because there's a, uh, an interesting story around that as well, but um, it was monumental, but I also think it gets, it gets a lot of credit for things that it, you know, it, it did something big for the genre. It bought, brought people in, but it also, I don't think that it really had a great narrative story. It was good at being topical, but it wasn't a great narrative story. I think that's my problem with Watchmen. Mm, okay. So you want to get into the uh, the plot points? Yeah. You want me to go through to you? Yeah, you go for it. You, you can run through the, the comic and I'll, I can just point out the differences uh, in the movie. Yeah, so... Um... The comic is immensely long, so I'm going to give a very high-level synopsis. Yeah, yeah. Um, if yeah, you want a more in-depth synopsis, I recommend go out to Wikipedia and check one out. Um, but the comic is literally, the trade paperback the of the comic is literally like three inches thick, or at least it feels that way. Um, it, it's it's massively long. So essentially, the, the long and short of it is um, the Watchmen were heroes when masked heroes and vigilantes were, were a bigger deal. Um, the government has kind of come out against that. Most of them have stopped operating. Um, a hero gets killed. Um, uh, there's, um, you know, the kind of a, it starts off as a mystery surrounding that. Um, then it kind of shifts gears and it gets into kind of the political unrest going on in the world. And, um, going on with the the kind of the the advent of the mass heroes and all the stuff going on in the 80s with the Cold War and all of that um, and the political unrest in the world. And then it shifts gears very weirdly to an alien invasion, um, which is um, 
you know, kind of the unifier of the world brings the world together to stops all the, you know, the unrest between the different countries around the world because they have to unify against this threat and they fight uh, this alien invasion and um, it kills a bunch of people, um, but they fight it off and it ultimately gets found out that Ozymandias, um, it, who's the smartest man in the world, one of the heroes, um, kind of manipulated things and made it up. And uh, he gets hated and goes on the run. That's pretty much it. Did I um, miss any major stuff? Does he go on the run and watch me or does that come later? I thought the world didn't, I thought the world didn't know about it until the doomsday clock. Um, the stories are blending together to me. They, they are for me as well. So doomsday clock continued the the ending of the of the Watchmen story. So now I'm kind of trying to remember if that's yeah. Because doomsday clock also takes place like years later, and I thought it was years I, later that they found out the I truth. I thought that they knew that Ozymandias did it at the end of Watchmen, but I'm going to double check. Um, but Anyway, um, that is a big departure from the movie where the main villain has nothing to do with that. Yeah, so in, in the movie, so there's a, a character named Dr. Manhattan who's essentially a god. He can manipulate matter and can essentially do whatever he wants. But he, he fights for the American government. So he's over in, in Nam and and uh, different places kind of just fighting, obviously blowing up tanks. He's shifting the, the power um of america uh military wise um but in that you see like russia and other countries gearing up nuclear wise to kind of counter-strike um dr manhattan so the the same character dr uh ozzy mandes what he does is he essentially creates a bomb that looks like dr manhattan set it off and he does this these bombs all over the world so essentially it looks like Dr. Manhattan like kind of gone crazy or has gone mad and it's attacked the world. So then the world decides to unite um, under that lie to um, to kind of fight Manhattan and keep him at bay. So my opinion is that the movie does a better job. It makes way more sense for Dr. Manhattan to, to or to, to make the lie about Dr. Manhattan than about aliens. Um, so there's the un, uncut version, uh, which I think is even better. Uh, so for the record, DC has this issue where the the actual cut is um, okay. Always worse than the movie that they cut up. Yeah, thank you. Just yeah, this is you know if you ever get a chance to watch the extended cut of a DC movie watch that cut and then just forget about the actual cut it doesn't matter if it's a half hour or hour longer i guarantee it's going to be worth it yeah i think that's a fair point um so i did do some checking to to figure out if i was right or wrong on the uh on the ozymandias thing because i couldn't remember um and you're right it, it isn't remember they don't find out about it until some point between watchmen and doomsday clock mm-hmm. um because at the end and this is where I had gotten confused. The Watchmen do find out about it. Yes, they do. They do realize it and they Night, confront Night him. Rorschach but find he out. basically shows them that, hey, this did unite the world. And so they um, agree to keep quiet about it, except for Rorschach, who says, I'm going to tell him anyway. And then Manhattan confronts him and he says, he, you're going to have to kill me or I'm going to talk. And so Dr. Manhattan kills Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, what's... 
a nice imagery is when they when he is so Dr. Man explodes him essentially and he explodes him and it looks like a, a Rorschach test. So I thought that was a, a nice image in that movie. But overall, um movie is way better than the comic. And sorry, that, that happens in the movie and the comic, by the way. Yeah. And the and the I think I, overall, I like the movie plot better as well. It, I think it makes more sense for Ozymandias is supposed to be the smartest man in the world. The, the only explanation you could make for why he chose aliens as opposed to Manhattan in the comic book would be to keep Manhattan from being blamed. But there's no indicator that he would care about that in anything in his character in the comics or in the movie. Is um, that in the fact that Dark Date? there's nothing they can do to dr manhattan anyway well they can't do anything to him but also ozymandias doesn't seem like he would care like as a character he doesn't seem like he would care if they did right and dr and dr manhattan doesn't doesn't either he's like all right whatever well he yeah he definitely doesn't care but even like i said even vate who is ozymandias like Mm -hmm. adrian he he doesn't care about dr manhattan enough to be like well i'm gonna protect my friend like that's not his character he's kind of he's modeled after lex luthor Mm-hmm. is who his character is modeled after and he doesn't care about anyone else as long as he feels what he did was going to work so it makes way more sense that he did what was in the movie because it's less contrived instead he built this like giant fake squid creature to be an alien to fight the world when he could have just planted bombs that look like dr manhattan uh blew up stuff on blew up on the world um it makes more sense in the movie i agree with that um it, it's just less contrived. The thing, though, that I, I think is weird about the whole, both the movie and the the comic, is the plot really, really drags for about half of each. Because it starts out more as a mystery about, like, who killed the comedian. Yeah, that is that is true. And then it has nothing to do with that. It doesn't feel... it. Like they feel like two completely separate story arcs, which is totally fine in comic books, but not in something that is one contained story of characters you've never seen before. Right. It, it's so the killing of the comedian, in my opinion, was to strike Rorschach while um, Vate did his thing, but it didn't really seem that way. You just kind of have to know that from being like a comic book nerd to kind of kind of fill in the blanks. So yeah, and that's and that's fair, and that is clearly the reason. I mean, that's a very good point and observation. My problem with it is not only is it not super clearly laid out, but it also doesn't seem necessary. Like they make it seem. I guess my problem with it is Rorschach is not like a Batman level detective, even in even in the Watchmen comic. Like he's not going to notice what Vade is doing unless it's presented right. to him. So, and and Adrian Vade is more connected, more intelligent. And, and more, and able to keep things in the shadows. So the fact that he did something as a distraction, which I agree, that's the reason, just doesn't seem like it was necessary. It seems to me more like it was written as Alan Moore needed something to fill pages. Like it doesn't seem like it was needed or a mass, um, an important plot point. I think it was a way to introduce characters and and try because mm-hmm. he he had to establish all these characters no one had ever heard of before he got to the big the big reveal of the villain mm-hmm. and i think it felt like a hey i'm going to do an introduction story to tell you who all these people are that's what it felt like right so for those of you who haven't seen it 
it starts with um, essentially the comedian being. I'm giving out spoilers because this is the movie. The movie's and like, the comic. If, yeah, the movie's like 15 years old, and the comics like 30 years old, so it, it's not really a spoiler anymore. Yeah, I think that. Well, the movie came out when we were in college, so the people, the the viewer who requested this, we were in college with you, so you should have saw it then. Um, but it starts with the comedian being thrown out the window, and that kind of gets Rorschach involved. I think a better way for the movie and the comic to start it is to show that. Rorschach was investigating something else and then becomes distracted by the, this comedian death. But essentially, this is the way to introduce Rorschach. Um, so one thing I think of is the Tower of Babel, where Batman's um, parents are, are um, kidnapped. And that takes him away from investigating what he would be investigating or helping out with. Because he, he essentially goes, all right, calms off. I need to focus for 100% on this. And you don't you don't get that with the Watchmen. Yeah, and, and that's another topic on Watchmen. By the way, it sounds like I'm probably crapping all over the Watchmen, and in in a small way, I am because I think it's one of the most overrated comic books ever written. Um, so but- I, I won't go that far. I just say now. I think it's one of the things like you need to have been like a teenager back in '86 or in college in '86 to f- fully appreciate it. I think that's the issue. It's like I, I can't understand the cultural impact. I'm, I can only read about it. Yeah, and, and that's probably part of the problem for me as well. It's like, look, I grew up in a post-Watchmen comic book world. So to me, it just feels overrated. But again, it feels like I'm crapping on it. I'm not trying to. One of the things I will say, though, that's another draw, a drain on the comic for me and the movie is the only character that's interesting is Rorschach. Very much so. He seems to be the, and, and the reason I say that is not just that like, oh, he's the gritty Batman-like character. It's got nothing to do with that. It's, he's the only character that's given any depth. Like every yeah. character, every other character is very, very flat and like there to serve their caricature purpose. Like Dr. Manhattan is the, is the, the emotionless Superman. Um, Ozymandias is the way too smart kind of, borderline evil dude and everyone else is just kind of there playing a very basic part rorschach has depth and like emotion and character and rorschach is interesting the rorschach driven scenes in the movie and the rorschach stuff in the comic are awesome and the artwork is phenomenal in the comic but i felt like they just like there was not any other any attention given to anyone else so this is kind of a sidebar but i think for the nerd topic for next week we should read the question dark label now that DC um, universe is DC infinite and it should be on there. Yep. Well, I actually went and bought them anyway. So I've got, <laughs> I've got them one way or another. I can read them. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I still do don't have the, the I still don't have the first issue. Ah, well we can do the question cause it's on black label or yeah, it's on but, DC universe infinite. Yeah. Yeah. But now that this, um, for those of you who missed it, Warshack is essentially a, a, the knockoff of the question. And I love the question. So let's let's dive into dive into him. Yeah, funny thing about the question is he's one of the only DC heroes who's familiar with every timeline, and so it makes him slightly insane. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I we'll get into that later. Yeah, but yeah. So isn't his superpower like super sanity, almost like the Joker? Essentially. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, getting back to the the Watchmen, I don't know how you, how you feel about that or if you agree, but I think one of the problems with Watchmen 
but it's also, it, it also does create some interest when, cause I have read it. Look, I've read it and I've seen the movie more than once. Um, I have not watched the new TV show um, because I've heard mixed things about it and I just haven't bothered to watch it yet. Yeah. We can also um, dive into that later on too. Can kind of compare the, the old to the new Watchmen. Yeah, we can definitely, we can, we can definitely watch it. It's on HBO max. So we might as well, mm-hmm. cause I know we both have it, um, but I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if you have. No, I haven't seen it yet. I've, I have so many things on my backlog for on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and HBO that you and me both. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get to, to it, it when I get we to can, it. We can definitely watch it for the show. I could plow through it in a weekend. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I also don't watch a lot of things that are popular now because it's so many spoilers. So I have to like wait until I forget the spoilers before I can watch it. Fair, but anyway. So again, we keep diverging, but which we always do on nerd topics. Um, I don't know so how you feel about it, on topic. I think the I think the Rorschach thing is it's a drawback because I don't think the other characters are are provide any emotional connection for the reader. But mm-hmm. I do think the the good thing that comes out of it is Rorschach is one of the the truly compelling comic book heroes in the history of comics. Um, even though he is ripped off from a character that exists. He is so wholly unique and so wholly different that he is, he is somebody that draws you in as a character. Like I would read more Rorschach. Um, the problem is he's the only one I can say that about. Yeah. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. Um, no, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a good place to stop. Like I said, we're going to, we're going to watch the, the TV series and also talk about the question the, the person Rorschach is knocked off, uh, knocked off of and future nerd topics. Um, obviously, if you get a, a listener request, we'll move that to the to the top of, of the pile. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think I think we're good for today. Yeah, I agree. Oh, the other thing about the movie, the movie has unnecessary large amounts of blue dog. Um, not sure why, like, I, I know exactly where you're going. I guess that that's in the comic. I don't know why that was in the movie. Like, <laughs> like and a, showing a, it a, once to show that this dude doesn't care about pants. Okay. I don't know why it was on the screen constantly. Oh, uh, like as soon as I heard like the, the tone in your voice, I knew where you were going. It's, it's, a, to, major, it's a major point. Like that's it's a, it's a major plot point. It's you, they, you need that, that that level of death. Like, that, and like I said, like they, they clearly it's meant to show like his disconnect from the, the world of man now that he doesn't care about things like clothes. But you could have shown that once and gotten the point across. I didn't need to every time he's on the screen see Big Blue Dick. But that's what you get. Now, the other thing I will say is the movie also has Malin Ackerman, who's hardly in anything, but is very attractive in that film. Just throwing it out there. Uh, right. w- movie's worth watching. It's super long, too. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, like I said, I will watch the extended cut. Um, I think the, I think it's worth it to watch the extended cut at least once. I no, I agree with you, but it is it is a very long movie as well. And mm-hmm. the extended cut, the extended cut almost pushes four hours, doesn't it? Yeah, like, it's like so. almost a Lord of the Rings extended type thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, good topic. Thank you for the request. Um, I said three that hours and 35 minutes, What? three hours and 35 minutes. That's not as long as I thought it was. So I said one quick thing. Um, I said, I'd finish that quiz and then give my results real quick. 
97% constitution, 96% Republican, 74% libertarian. Boom. There you go. So uh, none of that is surprising to me. I kind of figured those three would be the top. Hey, and guess what? Socialist green and Democrat all at the bottom at 0%. (laughs) I think I I like, I like 30% on on some of those. uh, I had 5% peace and freedom which I'm kind of surprised by 24% American solidarity, which I don't even know what that is. And then 10% transhumanist. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. So, so I just want to point out like the, like the quiz isn't hundred percent accurate. Cause I think a lot of the reason I got the 30% of the green party is because I believe in it, but I believe in it on like a personal level and not being done by the government. And there's no option for that. So I think that's part uh, of See, I answered everything why. pretty much as the government, regardless if I agree personally. If I don't agree with the government having the authority, I kind of pushed it away. That yeah, makes sense. But anyway, so thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for submitting topics the last few weeks. Please do so again. We really do appreciate it and we do enjoy it. It makes it more interesting than us constantly coming up with things to talk about. If we get a topic, it becomes the first thing, it becomes the priority. It will get into the queue. Um, so if you have a nerd topic or a political topic, throw them out to us. If you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MJ writing, right? Um, we also have a Facebook page writing the right. We also have a YouTube page writing the right. Please follow us on those like us on those share us to your friends. Uh, you can find our, uh, podcasts anywhere where podcasts are, um, broadcast and please share them with your friends. Lastly, please send us emails, any comments, thoughts, questions to, at, uh, Mike and Jeff at gmail.com. Again, that is M Y K E and Jeff at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.